Hello and welcome back to the Maluli Asset Podcast. This is episode 398. I'm your host, Casey Maluli, joined here by Tom this week. Tom, how you doing? Good. Happy to be here. Happy to have you. So we're going to keep doing what we've been doing the last couple of podcasts here and talk about what everyone else is talking about. We're going to talk about the economy, inflation, the stock market, what we're seeing. I know we have some charts that we're going to share. So lots to talk about and we're just going to get right into it. The big question out there in the economy is when is inflation going to slow down? And I just wanted to share three areas that kind of point to that happening at some point in the future. The first being copper or Dr. Copper, as it is commonly referred to. So could you just explain to everyone out there why copper, what copper is used to indicate and, and kind of why it's so important? Copper is one of the one of the basic materials, and it is a basic material that can be uh, traded actively in the market. And so you can track the price of copper on a daily basis. A lot of folks in our industry like to call it Dr. Copper because they will see copper moving up in price because there's demand in the midst of a recession. So we start to see prices rise for copper when there's more demand. Builders are going to start, you know, putting pipes back in new homes. Mm -hmm. uh, they're going to use co there's cop copper is used in so many different places that when we see demand for copper pick up and then we see prices for copper pick up, it's a clear indication most times that we're starting to see a pickup in economic activity. On the flip side, when we start to see the price of copper going down, it's an indication that things may be slowing down. Which is what we've seen happen this week. We saw the price of copper break down to a 52-week low so that it's trading at its lowest point in, in over a year. It's interesting, though, because some would say in the usual context, yes, economic slowdown is not a good thing that points to um, some larger issues. But in this instance, it could mean that demand is slowing, which means inflation could be slowing down, which means the Fed won't have to hike as aggressively as they said to, which is kind of this black cloud that's just hanging over the market and, and the economy as a whole. So maybe, maybe good, maybe bad. We'll see how that shakes out. I think the concern that some folks have is that copper may be falling and we, they worry that that could uh, indicate that we're going into a recession. Mm -hmm. So the, the next area that uh, to talk about here was the PMI index which is the Purchasing Managers Index. So these are the people that are in charge of running factories and, and manufacturing across the country. So this is a survey of them about what their deliveries are looking like. And it's com it comes out every 30 days. And it's an indication of orders that have been placed and they expect delivery in the next 30, 60, 90 days. Right. So that the PMI Index decreased from its May level, which again is a sign that demand is slowing. Delivery times for these factories are going to decrease, which is going to smooth out some of the supply chain backlogs that we've seen, which have contributed uh, so much to the inflationary landscape over the last year or so. 
And when we talk about the supply chain, you know, it's it's easy to point to these maps of the Port of Los Angeles that show like an unlimited number of ships that are waiting to drop off uh, cargo that was ordered six, eight, nine months ago. I'm sure my new refrigerator is waiting out there somewhere in the Pacific. Somewhere out there. Yeah. So people are not operating in a vacuum. They know that materials that were ordered three months ago, six months ago, eight months ago, they are on their way. It's not like these orders were canceled. People are still waiting for them. And so they know how to manage their inventory. And so we're going through this adjustment period. And this is what this is part of what's making people lose their minds is that, you know, the buyers at Walmart and Target have been getting destroyed, I think unnecessarily because of the high inventory levels that they reported last month. Uh, no, I think they're actually doing things right. They're saying, hey, we're going to take down our earnings estimates. We're going to take down our orders because we have so much inventory. P.S., I got to believe for the next six months, Walmart and Target are going to have some pretty good sales. <laughs> so the last area that I wanted to talk about was energy, which has been, I mean, you hear in a bear market that eventually the bears come for everyone. And I think the bears have been coming for energy and oil um, these last couple of weeks. So just to kind of give a background of what we've seen in this market um, this year, we saw crude oil peak at $130 a barrel back in March, and we've seen it move back down to around 105 over the last, that's what it's at today. And uh, we've seen kind of the steam come out of, of that sector as well over the last two or three weeks here. I'll also add that futures prices for delivery of crude in the next couple of months are now trading in the 90s. So it shows you the trend of where oil's going. Uh, I think the the Fed is accomplishing a lot of what they have already set out to do. We we did a podcast, and I think it was in January, where we talked about jawboning as an asset of the Fed. Sometimes just talking their game is enough to uh, get people to change their habits uh, or, or for businesses to change their habits too. Or for the market to react how it has yeah. and price all this stuff in faster than anyone thought possible. So I'll say just from my own experience looking at things, the market has priced in a severe recession. What if we don't get get a, a severe recession? What yeah. if we get a mild recession? What if we get a very short recession? What if we don't have a recession? What do you think is going to happen to the market? I'll give you an example. Uh, two years ago, the stock market went down 35% in 33 days when we thought we were going to do 15 days to flatten the curve. We're just going to shut down the economy for an unknown period of time. And when that didn't really happen, look at how fast the market came back and explosive. then and then took off. Yeah. So I want you to, for the listeners out there, just think the market has priced in a severe recession. If we don't have a severe recession, how fast will the economy and the market come back? If we have a mild recession, what impact would that have? If we don't enter into a recession, what will that do? Yeah. 
the market peaked on January 3rd and we're, we've kind of been treading water down in, in bear market territory, not that entire time, but it certainly felt like that the entire time. So we're six months into it already, yeah. almost seven months. Right. So, and I will add that what Casey just said is really <clears throat> for the S&P 500. Um, if you look at the NASDAQ, which is a lot of technology, uh, they those names stopped going up in April of last year. Yeah. So they have been trending down now for 16 months, something like that. So yeah, we're a long ways into this already. But also these are these things are the engines of growth. It's interesting. One of the things that both you and I looked at was charts and tweets from people we follow. Uh, we see XBI. This is not a recommendation, but that's the biotech index ETF. Uh, that seems to have put in a, a pretty significant bottom and seems to be rebounding. That is probably one of the most aggressive things that you could see out there. We've also seen, you know, some of these other, some of these other areas like uh, internet stocks, Chinese stocks, IPOs, uh, even that Arc Fund that Kathy Wood manages. These things have stopped going down because they got destroyed for nine, ten, twelve months. These were the things that led on the way down. Right. These were the things that were going down in, you know, March, April, May of last year, right. 2021. Right. So the the point being that those things have stopped going down, right. not necessarily going back up, but kind of putting in that bottom, so to speak. Yeah, I just I kind of wanted to to jump back to a point. I think that the what happened in March of 2020 with the COVID crash and subsequent explosion in the stock market, uh, I think maybe kind of just like broke people's brains. <laughs> in terms of like what to expect from bear markets and then rallies and how fast the market moves. I mean, I've said this on, on a couple of videos that I've done over the last or the last couple of weeks where just because it happened that way in 2020 doesn't mean it's going to happen this time. We saw it was Brendan's birthday, February 19th. That was the high. That was the high. And then four weeks later, March 23rd or thereabouts was the bottom. And then we were at all time highs again in the summer, probably like July or August. Yeah. But point being that just because it happened that way doesn't mean it, it has to happen again that way. But I think a lot of people were expecting that. We've had a couple dead cap bounces, bear market rallies, whatever you want to call them here. We had one in March. We had one in May where we're up, you know, seven, eight, nine, ten 10% in like two or three days. And everyone's like, okay, like it's backed. And then each subsequent time it doesn't happen, people lose faith even more, and then they stop looking for bottoms, and then the bottoms, and then the That's, bottoms happen. That is pretty typical. If you listen to Bloomberg in the morning, Tom Keen, I love that guy. He's on all the time. He is asking all of the people that come on the show, when are we getting this cathartic puke um, where the market just spits everything out? Uh, I'm going to go out on a limb and say... Uh, we, I think we've seen it uh, because people are looking for that one day event where the Dow is down 2000 points or the S&P is down 5% in one day. That rarely happens. Except in 2020. Except, yeah, right. So uh, 
But we may see a period where we have five days where five days in a row where the S&P loses one or one and a half percent. And so you get to a point where we've had, I think, two weeks where the S&P 500 went down about 11 percent. Uh, I don't know. That seems to be a cathartic puke for me. It doesn't all have to happen on one or two days. Yeah. So it can happen over a period of time where people just say, that's it. Yeah. I'm, I'm finished. I'm done. Uh, what do we see after that happens? So I know so, you have some stats here. Yeah, this is keying me up here. Ryan Dietrich, thanks. He's the market strategist uh, over at LPL Financial. So S and P 500 was down 5.8 last week, second consecutive week of a five percent plus drop in the S and P 500. And he and he wrote, "That's the bad news. The good news is a year after these kind of events." The returns have been solid up on average 28 plus percent, six out of the seven times. The only time that that did not come true was in the uh, after the 1987 stock market crash. So, you know, it's like we talk about pretty often the good usually follows the bad and vice versa. Yeah. So the other part of this, and I was on a, a conference call this morning talking about investment returns. I sit on a finance council uh, for a group here in New Jersey. We manage pensions, and our target return is 6% per year. We have never hit 6% per year. And the discussion came up, well, should we be making allocation changes today? or at least talking about making allocation changes today? And the answer is no, because going through a year like this, and I don't know where the year is going to finish, but going through years like this is the price that we pay for years where we made 20%, 18%, 12%, realize our target is to make six. So we have these years where we're like, banking extra returns and we're gonna every once in a while we're going to have a year where we have negative returns that brings the average return down so it's okay and we do the same thing with our clients here in the office when we talk about an average return during your retirement of six percent we're baking into the cake years where we're going to make 12, 15, 18% and years where we're going to lose 20, 6, 5, 11. We're, we're going to have years like that. So it all works out to be average. Yeah. Last week was, was pretty rough and uh, Ben Carlson tweeted out some stats about how over the last year or year to date, the S&P was down 23%. Over the last year, it's down 11%. But over the last 10 years, 241% return. Right. That's with everything. Every 5, 10, 15, 35% drawdowns in there. Those are all in there. So we talk pretty often about how you can't expect average returns every single year. It's not, you're not going to make a smooth six every single year. But if you don't rip up the script time and time again, we are confident that you are going to get those returns over 10, 20, 30, 40 years and beyond. It's hard to find optimists these days. Um, be one of the last ones out there. Yeah. So 
we're going to jump back to kind of what the Fed does and what they don't do, because yesterday we saw Jerome Powell, the Fed chairman. He was testifying in front of the Senate Finance Committee. Right. And today, as we're recording this, he is testifying in front of the House. Correct. So this is giving the opportunity to the politicians to ask any questions they want, and you never really know why they're asking their questions, whether they're just trying to score some points with the people they represent or whether they actually believe the things that they're asking. But it was pretty head-scratching to see some of the questions coming in yesterday, basically accusing Powell and the Fed of manipulating the prices of oil and food and just like we talked about in the beginning, the Fed doesn't have control over the price of oil or the price of food. And I just wanted to kind of talk about what they actually do, which is control the supply of money in the economy, also known as M2 um, to the more folks that took economics Economics. and this was one of the first things that they taught us was m1 m2 and uh so m2 is basically m2 actually involves m1 which is it's basically just all of the liquid money in the economy anything that can anything that is cash or anything that is easily convertible to cash right and so m1 is basically if you were to to think on local terms it's the checking account and so M2 is all the money in circulation. So it's checking and savings right. on a local level. And so M2 really is the money supply. Right. I know everyone, when the Fed cut rates back in 2020 and did those bailouts, everyone's like, oh, they're printing money. And now we're seeing the opposite end of that. So this was from Charlie Bellello. And after 144 consecutive monthly increases of the U.S. money supply, M2, M2, it declined in April for the first time since March of 2010. And the year-over-year growth rate of 8% is the slowest we've seen since February of 2020 and is likely to decelerate in the coming months. So I just want to clarify, we're not saying that it's not growing. We're saying that it's growing slower. which is kind of a microcosm of what the Fed is trying to do to the economy overall. So the financial experts on CNBC will talk about shrinking money supply, how they're tightening, and they, they call it QT, quantitative tightening. And then they'll also talk about, they want to frighten people by talking about deflation. When inflation, you know, a few months ago, it was 8.6, and you know, at some point in the future, it'll be somewhere in the sevens, and then the sixes. People will start talking about deflation. They're, they're what they should be using in the right terminology is disinflation, where you still have inflation, but it's not as much as it was before, and it has stopped going up. And I think that's the main thing that people need to focus on. Same thing with the money supply. I want to just zoom back in on something that Casey uh, mentioned a minute ago. So this is the first time that we're seeing a smaller growth in the money supply going back to March of 2010. That's 12 years of increasing money supply. So this isn't something that was March of 2020 related. This is a real shift in what the Fed is doing. Uh, And I know if you... Uh, scroll back the 
two podcasts ago, we spent a lot of time talking about quantitative tightening and how this is really going to be a non-story um, when the dust settles on all of this stuff. Yeah, I think everyone likes to think that whatever is happening now is going to continue forever in the future. But I think as we saw with their decision to raise 75 instead of 50, they're going to pay attention to the data and, and act accordingly, which I think goes back to your point before about them jawboning and whether or not they're actually going to continue to hike um, into through this year and into next year. Everyone kind of thinks that that's just going to happen in, perpetu in perpetuity. And um, I don't think we're big believers of that here. So um, point being, uh, I had a, a someone call in Friday. This is now two weeks ago when the market was down almost a thousand points. And I said to this gentleman on the phone, I was like, look, he was flipping out. He was losing his mind. And I said, look, if the market, he's like, this is, he goes, this is never going to stop. Like the market is just going down, down, down. And it's not going to stop. And I'm like, look, if we continue to go down a thousand points a day in 31 days, we'll have nothing to talk about because the Dow Jones will be at zero. It doesn't work that way. Yeah. We'd have a lot bigger problems on our hands too. Oh boy. <laughs> All right, so that's what we've been seeing this week, kind of uh, some some green shoots, as we like to call it, and some, some other people on FinTwit uh, like to call it. We're kind of mining for green shoots these days to kind of, um, you know, be, we'll be the last standing optimists in the room. That's kind of our job here as advisors and financial planners is to kind of keep everybody um, focused on what actually matters. So... That's going to wrap it up for episode 398 of the Maluli Asset Podcast. Thanks as always for listening. We'll be back with you next time. Tom Maluli is an investment advisor representative with Maluli Asset Management. All opinions expressed by Tom and his podcast guests are solely their own opinions and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of Maluli Asset Management. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. Clients of Maluli Asset Management may maintain positions and securities discussed in this podcast.